together this morning. When uh, the first verse says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now these verses, and just those first, the first verse of Jonah chapter 3, it oozes the grace and kindness and love of God. And I wanted us to think these things through and, and pray as we look at this, it will transform our hearts. As we behold Jesus, as we look at who God is and what he's like, as we look at his grace for us, then we will be transformed. The grace of God, when I'm saying that word, that phrase, I mean his undeserved love, his undeserved kindness poured out to us. And when we think about the grace of God, it comes in many different forms. It's multifaceted, like a diamond. There's lots of ways we can look at God's kindness and his grace to us. And this morning, I think that as we look at these verses, we'll see just how rich the gospel and the grace of God is. And it's deeply practical. So this morning, if you think you have failed too much, you need to hear Jonah chapter 3. If you think there's no hope for you, you need to hear Jonah chapter 3. If you think you can't be used by God because you're not strong enough, you need Jonah chapter 3. If you think you're not good enough to be used by God, you need Jonah chapter 3. If you've slipped into looking down on other people, thinking that you're better, you need Jonah chapter 3. We need to hear and encounter the grace of God and his character this morning. So there's four ways that I want us to see that we see the grace of God in these verses that we'll look at. The first is this. Notice the painful grace of God. Now, Jonah isn't a very big book. If you were to read it through, it'd probably take you five or six minutes. But if you do read it through, there's one thing I think that does stand out. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah 1 verse 1. And listen, if you haven't got them, listen to what God's word says in Jonah 1 verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So you hear that? And then Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. They are almost exactly the same, those two verses. And yet, something has happened in the middle, hasn't it? Something big has happened. Last time Jonah heard the words of chapter 3, what happened? Well, he heard what God wanted him to do, and he did the total opposite. He fled. And we've, we've thought through that, how the storm followed him, how the consequences of his actions was bad for him and for those around him. He fled, and because of that, he ended up putting the lives of others in danger. And he himself, as he went away from God, God sent a storm. He went through the terrifying ordeal of the storm, then was thrown overboard, was sinking, 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 and he was drowning. We looked at that last week in chapter 2. The, weed, the seaweed was wrapping around him. He was plummeting to his death. Now, that would have been quite a traumatic thing in itself. But then a big fish comes. And he's not thinking, oh, I know the Sunday school story, what happens when a big fish swallows you. He doesn't know that. He is thinking, well, I've definitely had it now if I've been swallowed by this big animal. So this big fish swallows him up. And what happens? Well, he's, 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 he's thought he's had it. But God protects him in the, in the storm. He protects him in the fish. And for three days and three nights, he is kept alive. And then he is thrown up. He is vomited by this fish 
onto uh, the shores of Nineveh. Now, as we saw last week, while Jonah was in the belly of the fish, he longed for the temple. He longed to be with his people. He longed to see the sacrifice that he needed to make for his failure. He cried out to God. He was aware that he'd done loads of wrong things. And as he's been vomited up onto the Assyrian land, he is no doubt very thankful he's still alive, but he knows that because of what he's done, he has put his life in danger, he's put other lives in danger. That's because he didn't listen to what God wanted him to do. So when Jonah kind of comes round, you know, wipes off the sick from him, it wouldn't have been a pretty sight, would it? He then hears the word from God, the same words, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it the message I tell you. Now in that moment as he hears those words we're going to see that it's wonderful kindness of God in in many ways but do you see first of all that that would have been painful for him to hear because he would have heard the words that he disobeyed the last time. Heard the words that he didn't uh, hear, uh, didn't listen to before and in that moment Jonah was reminded of his failure He was reminded of his rebellion. He was reminded how instead of going one way down the road, he went in totally the opposite way. He was reminded how all that he did was against what God wanted. And it would have brought it all back up. The pain and the heartache, the trauma that he put himself and others through. But by bringing it up, God was showing that he loved him. By bringing it up, he was showing that he wasn't done with him. He wasn't finished with him. So this painful moment was actually a show of God's kindness and his grace. You know, God will often, and we've seen this before in Jonah's life, deal with us in a way that is uncomfortable, that isn't pleasant. He'll bring discomfort into our lives because he loves us. He can wound us, but it's the wound of a a surgeon with a scalpel. There to heal us not to hurt us and we see this throughout the bible actually you think of someone like joseph joseph was an arrogant young man look how great i am look at my amazing coat look everybody one day you're going to all bow down to me he was a poser he was a show-off he was arrogant and yet god brought into his life things which caused discomfort and pain he ended up being betrayed by his brothers thrown to the pit sold into slavery all of that and yet God was bringing that to to work in him and we see by the end of the story he's a different Joseph God works in him this incision this this pain this wound that actually ended up healing him he saved Joseph and he also saved his family through that not only that but I think this is a big reminder of Jesus disciple Peter do you remember Peter when Jesus said you are all or he's spoken to the disciples you're all going to run away you're all going to leave me soon. What did Peter say? No way. Even if they all leave you, Jesus, I'm sticking with you. I'll go to death for you. I love you more than they do. I'll stick with you. And then Jesus said, no, tonight you're going to deny me three times. And again, he said, no, it's just not going to happen. What happened? Well, when uh, Jesus was there, uh, when Jesus was arrested and betrayed, Peter was asked by a servant girl, you, you're one of the disciples. You're with Jesus. And he said, no. And again, he was asked again, you're, you're one of them. He said, no. And the third time he said, no, he denied he knew Jesus. He failed. And there's a part in one of the Gospels where Jesus turned to him and looked. Imagine those eyes. You've done it, Peter. 
And then after Jesus died and rose again, Jesus, you remember, was cooking breakfast on the beach. Um, and he calls Peter over. And he asks Peter three questions. Do you love me more than these? And in that question, it's again like a surgeon's scalpel going right to the heart. Do you love me like you said? You don't, you, you fail, Peter. But let me ask you again. Do you love me? Three times. And he said, yes, yes, yes. Three questions. And this time he got it right. See, God loves us enough to make us uncomfortable, to expose things in our life that we wouldn't have seen otherwise, but he doesn't want us uh, to live in that rebellion. So what today in your life is God putting his finger on? What is he showing us that needs to change? If it's uncomfortable, please see that as the kindness and the love of God. That he doesn't want us just to leave us as we are. He wants us to grow, wants us to heal, wants us to become more like Jesus. He wants to build us up. He knows that if we don't deal with this thing in our lives that's dragging us away from him, it's going to destroy us. It's going to be unhelpful. It's not nice to see, but without it, we're in big danger. So there's the painful grace of God. He loves you too much to let you carry on, but he does it because he loves you. But we, never, we don't just leave it here. We see the painful grace of God in this verse, but also we see the stunning grace of God. See, these words to Jonah are, are full of beautiful grace. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Isn't that wonderful? It came the second time. Jonah had obviously clearly failed. He would just have to look at his clothes and the state he was in to see the mess that his decisions and his rebellion had caused. He'd really messed up. He'd gone in totally the wrong way. But God comes to him here and says, Jonah, I'm giving you another chance. He could quite easily have found another prophet. He could quite easily have found somebody else. But no, he says, Jonah, I want to use you to do what I want you to do. The God, God came to Jonah a second time. And the wonderful truth is this morning, God hasn't changed. He is a God of second chances, a God of third chances, of fourth chances, of fifth chances. He is a God of wonderful grace. And this is a truth that we cannot hear enough because I know that the majority of us in this room have forgotten it this week. We've done something where we think we've blown it and we feel like we can't approach God because I've done, I've done too much this time. I've done the same thing again. But God is the God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. And he has brought us here today to remind us of this truth. And again, this isn't an isolated incident in a small book in the Old Testament. We see it time and time again throughout the Bible. You look at Abraham. Abraham was told, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless your offspring. You're going to have a nation that's going to come from you, more numerous than the stars. But he didn't trust God's promise. And so he had a baby with um, his servant, Hagar. And he failed and yet God came to him again not only that another time in Abraham's life where twice he told other people that Sarah was actually his sister not his wife so that they wouldn't hurt him or kill him but God comes to Abraham again and he says come on Abraham I'm keeping my promise with you I'm keeping my covenant with you oh look at Moses you look at his life and he was told to set God's people free and he ended up killing one of the Egyptians you remember and then he fled so for 40 years he was in the wilderness. He was nowhere. But God came to him in the burning bush and said, Moses, now's the time. You need to go back. 
Or think of David. David, the, the one who was the king of God's people, and yet he betrays his, the commander of his army. He commits adultery with his wife, and then he ends up getting him killed. Murder, adultery, deceitfulness, all there. And yet Jesus, uh, we see the forgiveness of Jesus being shown through the prophet Nathan. And said, David, you're the man. Again, incisive words, but he wasn't um, ruled out of being used by God. Or uh, Peter, as we've seen, uh, he'd failed, but Jesus reinstated him and said, do you love me? I'm going to build my church on you. And then we see he preaches that sermon in Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved. See, time and time again in the Bible, God doesn't write off failures. So if you've come here this morning feeling like a failure and feeling like there is no way God can use me, look at what God's grace tells us. We're not too far from God's grace. He, he wants to use you. He wants to reinstate you as a way. He wants to say, look, come on. I'm the God of second chances. Now, maybe you've come here today and you're very aware of your guilt and your shame, and you think, oh, I've, I've just done too much wrong. You've done something or you've not done something. You've said something or you've not said something. And you're carrying around the guilt and the shame, and it is, it is just exhausting. And you can't seem to move on. You can't seem to go forward. There's no way God will have anything to do with me. I have blown it. And perhaps that, you feel that painfully this morning. Well, there's wonderful news. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of God comes to you this morning, a second, third, fourth, I don't know which time, but if you're hearing it, he is offering it again. There is hope in Jesus. The God of the Bible shows us that Jesus died. He took our guilt and shame so that we wouldn't have to carry it anymore, and we stand forgiven. We stand accepted this morning if we're trusting in Jesus. John Newton wrote a hymn that brings both these first and second points together. I'm going to read the hymn. It, it, it's more of a poem than a hymn, to be honest, but let me read it to you because it's so, it sums it all up wonderfully. In evil I long took delight, and awed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood, who fixed his eyes upon me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, have slain. Yet listen to this. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou may live. Thus, while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace, it seals my pardon too. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit now is filled, that I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. See, the first look was, you did this to me. The second look, but I want to freely forgive. This morning, we've got the God of the second look. We've got the, the Savior who looks at you and says, but I've done this to forgive you. 
Have you been keeping your distance from God because you're not sure how he's going to respond? Are you keeping your distance because you think, I've just failed too much, I've wandered too far? This morning, remember and hear, we've got the God of the second look, of the second chance, of the fifth chance, of the tenth chance, and he's offering you this morning that fresh start, new mercies every morning. We'll never come to the bottom of his grace. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. And you're thinking, there is no way God would accept me. Not after what I have done. Not after my background. Not with my things, uh, my history. I've done too much. But look at what God is like. Look at what he's saying to us today. He is saying to you, if you can hear this, there is another chance. Come to me this morning and I can forgive you. I can wash you clean. That's why Jesus came. He came to bear our guilt and shame so that we could be forgiven, whatever we've done. And this morning we stand or we sit forgiven in Jesus. There is stunning grace in these words of the God who came, the word of the Lord who came a second time. So we've seen painful grace, these words that would remind Jonah of all his failure. But we've seen stunning words, words that remind Jonah that he is getting another chance. Thirdly, now let's look at the power of the grace of God. Because in chapter 1, we told, Jonah has said, rise up, arise. Get up, Jonah, and go. But instead of going up, where does Jonah go? You follow the word in chapter 1. Down he went to Joppa. Down he went into the boat. Down he went into the sea. The only way away from God is the way down. And he descends and he descends and he descends. But here... The word of God comes to him again. He experiences the grace and kindness as we saw last week in chapter 2. And the word comes to God from God, verse 2, arise. And what does Jonah do? Verse 3, so Jonah arose. Simple, isn't it? It's not very uh, complicated, but Jonah got up. After encountering the grace of God, he listened. And then he goes to Nineveh and we'll see the wonderful thing that God uses him to do uh, in Nineveh. But what changed him? What was the difference between chapter uh, 1 and chapter 3? He encounters the transforming grace of God. It is then that he's able to obey. And that's what we need to kind of remind ourselves of this morning because we so easily forget that the shape we see throughout the Bible is we obey God because we've encountered his loving grace, not the other way around. So we don't earn God's grace. We don't think, right, if I have a good week, If I have a good day, if I do the certain things or rituals, then God will love me and he can, uh, then God will uh, do great things. No, we come to him weak in our failure and then we obey after we've been forgiven. So uh, a great way to see this is in the Ten Commandments. Uh, We often think, don't we, we can slip and think the Ten Commandments are there to show us, right, you have to do this and if you do the Ten Commandments, then maybe you'll be good enough for God. That's, if we were to ask a lot of people on the street this morning, what are the Ten Commandments there for? Probably, you know, one of the things is to show us uh, what, how life should be lived or to show us what God will accept. So if you do the Ten Commandments like a tick list, then maybe God will accept me. But look at where the Ten Commandments come in the Bible. God's people are slaves in Egypt. They, they haven't got a chance. Uh, they can't defeat the great enemy, Egypt. So God comes, he sends Moses to set them free and says, I'm coming to rescue you. You are my people now. He takes them to Sinai and that is really where God um, promises to, and covenants to be his, with his people. You are my people, I am your God, I will be with you. It's like their marriage ceremony. 
Where do the Ten Commandments come? After that. After God has committed himself to them, he says, right now, this is what it means to live as one of my people. This is what it looks like. This is how life should be lived uh, to its best. Because you're mine. He doesn't say, here are the Ten Commandments, slaves in Egypt. If you keep them well enough, I will rescue you and take you to freedom. No, he rescues them and then he says, now live. A Christian is someone who experiences God's saving grace and then wants to live a life of obedience for him, not the other way around. As um, Tim Keller sums it up, he says, uh, religion says um, I obey uh, and then I'm accepted, but the gospel says I'm accepted, therefore I obey. You see the difference? Not I have to obey to be accepted, but I am accepted in the sure and certain knowledge that I'm safe in him, then I can obey and freely obey. Now this is something that we might have heard before. I might think, yeah, yeah, I know this, but do you really know it? Or have you come here this morning thinking, I've got to obey God in order to earn his love? I've got to have a much better week, and then maybe next week if I do better, I can sing more joyfully because God will love me more. No, the whole point is it's free. It's his love. When Jonah encountered the grace of God, it's then he arose. And that shows us, and it touches on this deeper truth, doesn't it? When we uh, become a Christian, God doesn't just say, right, you're on your own now. He says, no, I'm going I'm to help you every day. There are going to be more mercies, new grace every single morning. We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ lives in every believer and says, I'm going to help you along the way. So if we feel like giving up, if we feel like I can't do it, let's remember the Spirit of Christ which now dwells within us. And he wants to help us. He wants to equip us. He wants to strengthen us. We can't do it alone. We do it leaning on and trusting in him. Remember Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This isn't your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, and listen to this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We don't get any glory or praise. God has prepared the good works for us. He gives us the grace to obey, and so it's all over to him. He gets all the praise. So if this morning we feel stuck or trapped, if this morning we just may be trapped in an attitude or a sin, could it be that we're refusing God's grace? We're trying to do it on our own. Instead of depending on him and leaning on him and, and accepting that we are forgiven in him, we're trying to make ourselves acceptable to God. Trying to earn his love, earn his grace. Remember today we've got the God of the second chance, the one who says to us, if you put your trust in me, you're accepted once and for all. When we realize that we are loved, that loved by God, it's then that we get up. Then we go to battle because we're accepted and we're loved in him. We're safe in Christ. That's the power of the grace of God. It transforms our hearts. Instead of earning God's love and whether we're not sure if he loves us or not, we're safe in him. So notice the painful grace of God, the incisive, this incision, these words that would have hurt, they're there because he loves us. The stunning grace of God, the God of the second chance, the power of the grace of God that then helps us to obey. And the last thing is this, the infectious grace of God. Two things I want us to see before we finish. One is to realize that if we experience the kindness and the love and the grace of God, 
it's never static it'll never just stay in here you know and like oh that's lovely if we truly encounter him and his kindness and his love and his grace it'll always overflow to others now before looking at jonah notice god's heart for nineveh here he is committed to getting someone to them to show them that judgment is coming unless you turn he loves them too much to just let them uh, go on into the judgment of god he wants to say there's a way out and nothing got in the way of god's purpose he made sure a fish came and swallowed up jonah spewed him out onto the place where he wanted him said now jonah go they need to hear god wants others to respond to him god wants others to believe and trust and follow even if prophets fail and let him down god still has a heart for the lost for those who don't know him he longs that no one should perish now do you remember that's god's heart look at the lengths he went to to make sure nineveh got to hear his mercy and his grace god that is god's heart that is god's heart for my stake that's god's heart for Llangynnoid, for cumvelin for garth for nantefellon for kaira it's god's heart for you he wants to save and he will use us even if we feel like failures in our weakness to reach out because god's heart is for them so as we pray we're not twisting god's arm to make him do something he doesn't want to do he longs and loves for people to be saved we go in his power in his strength in his confidence so if you are not a christian here this morning god loves you and he wants you to trust in him and he knows that you deserve punishment for the wrong we've done we all do that's why he sent jesus so he took your punishment on the cross turn to him today that's his heart for you and he's brought you here he's brought all the things in your life up to this point in order to say please respond don't leave here unless you've trusted in me we don't know how long we've got we don't know how long how many days or weeks or months we've got left so today turn look what i've done to get you here look at all the circumstances now don't ignore me that is the heart god has and he will stop at nothing how do we know well again look at jesus look at the greater jonah that we've looked at every week the true and greater prophet who didn't run away from his calling the one who listened to his father he came into this world was beaten was betrayed went down 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 not into a fish for three days but into death for three days and three nights then he rose again in order to show us look there is forgiveness i've defeated death i've defeated sin i've defeated satan i love you and now you can be saved that is the heart that god has that's how we know he'll stop at nothing but there's something else we need to see here as well why did jonah not want to go to nineveh remember we're going to look at it in chapter four in a few weeks time but he said lord this is why i didn't want to go chapter four verse two because i knew that you were gracious and merciful jonah hated the assyrians the ninevites he didn't want them to hear about the grace of god but here we see in this moment he went he experienced the god of second chances and he followed and it touches on that truth isn't it when we've experienced the second chance the forgiveness the grace the kindness the love of god for us with all of our failures and all the things we've done wrong he keeps forgiving us how can we not then be patient with other people and their failures we can forgive others because god has forgiven us great example of that is uh, corrie ten boom remember she was there christian in the concentration camp in ravensbrook a jewish christian 
and her sister Betsy was treated horribly there and she died in the concentration camp. And after, she was, uh, after the World War, she travelled all over the world telling people uh, about her story and how God had worked in her life and helped her through that. But there was one time she was in a church service in Munich and she says, I'll read her account of this. She said, it was at that church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who'd stood guard at the shower room door in the processing centre at Ravensbrück. That was the concentration camp. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly, it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, clothing, Betsy's pain blanched face. He came up to me at the church as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he's washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who'd preached so often to the people in Blomendal the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. And while into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered this is not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with a command, the love itself. You see, the power as we realise how much God has forgiven us, we can offer that grace to others. The grace of God is infectious. It must impact our relationships around. As Ephesians 4, we read earlier, says, forgive one another just as God forgave you because of what Christ has done. Or Matthew 6, if you forgive others their trespasses, Jesus says, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. See, as we experience the God of second chances, it's got to affect our relationships around us. Now, is there someone today that you need to extend that grace to? Someone who maybe you've been withholding it from in your heart and you haven't really noticed it until maybe this moment you think, oh, I, I've been holding a grudge or a bitterness. Do you need to let that go? Do you need to deal with that? Do you need to come to God and say, God, help me to forgive. Help me because you've forgiven me. Maybe there's someone you've written off. Somebody said, there's no chance for them. Somebody who you look down on. Again, let's remember the grace that we've received, the patience that God has shown us. And let's pray that God would help us to extend that grace to other people. The heart of God here is that he wants Assyria to hear his message. And people who Jonah had written off, but God gets him there. Maybe others might have written Jonah off as the prophet who ran, but God got him there. You see, this grace is, is infectious. It must impact others. Here's a God of the second chance. Here's a God who wants us today to respond to him. Yes, sometimes that grace can be painful, but it is also stunning. It is powerful. It can transform us from the inside out. And let's pray that this grace is infectious amongst us as a church. And as people come in and meet us, they'll see there's something different here. They've encountered the love of Jesus. Let's pray together before we sing our last song about the grace of God.
Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your amazing patience with us, that you are the God of second chances, that you are the God of that second look. We thank you, Lord, that you in your kindness and your grace have forgiven us so much. Help us then, Lord, to offer that same grace and love to others. And we pray that many more would come to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen.